There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello everyone and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how positive education and conscious parenting can impact their entire life as well as society. Each week we're having conversations with guests on different themes and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view and learn in a non-judgmental way. Today Eve tells us about her day-to-day -day life raising her two autistic daughters. I think this episode is super helpful to understand the different sides of the spectrum with autism and that each kid is very different. As usual, you will find some support links in the description. The best way to support this podcast is to subscribe if you haven't already and write a review if you're listening from Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram at The Bubbling Adventure for daily positive education contents. Now that it's said and you all went and subscribed, let's begin! Hi Eve, how are you today? Hi. Hi Julie, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me on. How are yeah, you? It's good. Very happy to, to do this episode with you today. Um, but before we jump in, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. Uh, my name's Eve and I'm a Scottish mum living in Suffolk. Um, I have two girls, age nine and age five. Um, and both girls have a diagnosis of autism, um, but both at um, different areas of the spectrum, kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. One has a, a severe form of autism and, and multiple other issues as well. And my that's the eldest one. And the youngest one, who's five, she um, has a mild case that seems to be getting better with education and age and early intervention um, and in fact her case is so mild now you wouldn't even notice as an outsider her issues uh, sort of are, are within the house with sleeping and toileting things like that but um but yeah my eldest so my eldest more severe and my youngest um very mild um i work part-time very part-time for a local family support charity called Homestar in Suffolk. We support families um, throughout the county who are experiencing a really difficult time. So whether that's um, health health issues, mental health, poverty, domestic violence, um, 
we can go in with our volunteer support network and um, and offer support and, and help and friendship to those families. So I work part-time and I have my two girls and that's me, that keeps me pretty busy. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and so I have just a, a question on how do you even get the diagnosis in the first place? How long did it take, especially okay. maybe for your first daughter? Yeah, yeah, um, that's a really important question. Um, diagnosis is something that many families struggle with. Um, I was so I had one diagnosed in Scotland and one diagnosed in England. Um, so when Noella was born, I had um, uh, I was 25 when I had her. So I was young, I was healthy. Um, I did not expect any kind of health or development complication with my baby. Um, you know, you do in pregnancy, you do like there's a test for Down syndrome and then that comes back, that came back low. And um, yeah, there is no sort of warning signs or anything like that. Um, uh, and she was delivered normally and everything and developed normally in her first year. In fact, she was actually a really good baby. She was very, very quiet, very rarely cried, but we now know looking back that that was because she couldn't communicate. And even at that, uh, she's not non-verbal now, but she's largely non-verbal, but um, her not crying, her not making sounds and things was, was this. So around about, um, I think she, she walked around about 13 months. So it was in those next three months that um, seeing her move about a lot as well, made me realize and others around, you know, she went to, I was at university at the time in Edinburgh. So she went to a, a nursery, a local nursery while I was at uni. So nursery staff, the health visitor, myself, some family members, um, just noticed differences in her behavior. You know, there was no words. She had actually said mama a few times at nine months and then seemed to forget it. it the word went from her head, which is a real telltale sign with, um, autism or any development issue because development moves forward in a young infant it doesn't move backwards if you see what I'm, see what I'm talking about I'm using my hands as a signal when it's just loaded it's a podcast um uh yeah so for example she would stay away from other children um actively stay away from them she couldn't be around any kind of noisy children uh really did dislike being at nursery wouldn't follow any kind of instruction almost seemed like she couldn't hear her own name couldn't hear an instruction you know at the park she would just wonder um she didn't seem to have you know like a homing pigeon has the signal in its head to come back like she, and children have that with their mum or their parental figure or their caregiver she didn't seem to have that she would just go you know and i used to look at other people in the park having picnics with the children would play and they'd wander a bit to play with a ball or a toy or a swing or something but they'd always come back to the same picnic rug and I used to, but I used to be chasing Noella like whatever she went and I'm talking onto roads you know no awareness of danger no nothing you know she was just in her own little world uh going wherever she was going um whatever she was thinking at the time and you don't know because you know there was I kept thinking oh she'll start she's just a late developer she'll start talking soon you know um so it was September 2013 she was born 2011 and it was September 2013 so she's just two years three months that is when I'd waited a little while for a pediatric appointment um so through the health visitor had said through the GP let's get a pediatric appointment and um it differs 
the process differs from county to county, let alone country to country. So this was my experience in Scotland and Edinburgh at the time, but it is, it, is, it is different for, the process is different for other people. So at that first paediatric appointment, the um, myself and my partner were there with Noella age two and they take, do some games with her. Um, I remember Pegs being one of them and they tried to interact with her and they spoke to us for about an hour, you know, taking down all these notes about her. Um, and then at the end of that appointment, the paediatrician, um, I can still remember her name actually, um, she, she said, this is highly likely to be autism, uh, you know, a fairly severe case of autism. Um, so, you know, that's, that leaves you quite shell-shocked. Um, I knew nothing about autism. I had seen that film Rain Man, mm -hmm. which um, is a great film, although it's not the best portrayal because it's one tiny little slice of one person's story um, uh, or, or fictional story. Um, that's all I knew. I didn't know anything. So I remember walking home with her in the buggy, you know, um, and googling autism you know telling my parents telling my family i remember texting my cousin um uh I remember my cousin texting me back and saying i don't know what to say you know um mm. yeah so it was a real shock to the whole family um and uh, but so you sort but in scotland i was really lucky because at that time i don't know what it's like now but um they throw you straight into all the therapies so there's no waiting i mean i know i now know that here where we are in england uh there's lots of waiting lists and um there's you know you don't start therapies immediately so immediately i had a graduate job uh at an insurance firm near her nursery that i'd taken because of the proximity to the nursery so literally the next week it would next week next week sorry it was um speech therapy occupational therapy play therapy uh, follow-up paediatric review, blah, blah, blah. So I was sort of having to leave my full-time nine-to-five, go to the nursery, pick her up, take her to the appointment, come back, drop her off, which she didn't understand. So she'd have a meltdown at that point, which meltdowns in a two-year-old, um, you know, because she's only two and that's a common thing for two-year-olds to do. Uh, they look like tantrums. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're much worse than that um, and much more distressing. Um, and then as they grow, they get they become more difficult because they're physically more capable of, of damaging themselves, you or property or whatever. Um, but I digress now. So these appointments all started right away, which is fantastic because that's early intervention is, you know, number one uh, in autism. I suppose, I don't, I don't know about any other conditions, I suppose with any condition, uh, early intervention is so important and I was lucky to be living at that in that year in that in Edinburgh where that was possible um but I it soon became apparent after about two months of that that I couldn't keep my job because I was working every lunch hour that I could the nursery closed you know at half five so I could it wasn't overtime that I could do because I had to collect her um yeah so but then my partner was um, said, you know, well, I'll support us, you know, and you're going to have to give up your job because this is an autistic little girl who needs a mummy. And um, and she wasn't thriving in the nursery. You know, she hates other kids. I mean, still now, now she's 10 years, n nearly 10 years on, well, sorry, eight years on from that mark. She still struggles around her, around other kids. And I'll go on to mention that later when I talk about the birth of her mm -hmm. sister. Um, 
But yeah, so that, so she was diagnosed at two. It was very, very clear from the start. But I know that di autism is such a vast spectrum that if you sit anywhere else on the spectrum, you know, in the middle or at the low end, or it's just one issue, it's very hard to get through that diagnostic process. So in many respects, I was lucky that it happened quickly and we were thrown into the deep end with all the early interventions. Um, the diagnosis of my uh, second child, uh, my little one, that was much, again, l lucky because Noella already had the diagnosis. As parents, my um, husband and I were on top of it and so was the health visitor and so were all the pediatricians and we were all looking for signs, you know, um, and there was signs, there was signs from the beginning uh, that something wasn't quite going right, going right with Alba's development as well. Um, so her diagnosis again at two years old, um, which is really the earliest that you get a diagnosis. I think I was kind of looking at some recent stats earlier, and I think that most are diagnosed between two and four, mm. uh, and that the earlier the better. So again, because her, now Alba, because she was not as severe as Noella, I think that if she didn't have a sister already, in the autism system with the diagnosis, it wouldn't have happened so quickly for us. So that process in England was um, fast tracked for me because we were already on top of it and having these conversations with the health visitor and the pediatrician. So then you could then go forward for a multidisciplined assessment centre appointment where in one room they have, so this is a different process from the diagnostic process in Scotland, who get the so in Scotland, it was get the paediatrician to to sort of confirm and start the therapies. And then the therapies start, begin, they work with the child for about a year, nine months to 12 months. And then at the end of that, you get the, the confirmed report uh, colluding that, that, yes, this is autism. Mm. So uh, whereas in England, uh, or in my part of England in Suffolk, it's um, uh, over a four-week period, I think, you have four appointments with, with um, there'll be in the room, two paediatric uh, doctors, there'll be a speech and language therapist, an occupational therapist, there'll be a play therapist, and I'm remembering everyone there, perhaps a, even a couple of other therapists in the room, and you have maybe a two to three hour session over the course of three weeks, three or four weeks, and um, I hope I'm remembering that right, actually. <laughs> and then at the end, on the last day, I remember because Alba had just started to talk, just when we got this assessment. So I had actually, even from when she was a baby, we were like, this is autism again, this is autism again, she's gonna be another Noella, you know, this is gonna be so hard. Um, she had just started to show really positive signs. So I actually went into this second diagnosis and I kept saying to the pedia pediatricians, um, if you don't wanna diagnose, I'm totally fine with that because often pediatricians feel pressure from parents who are desperate for a diagnosis. Whereas I was feeling the opposite. I thought, oh, I hope that they don't, you know, I just kept making it clear. I'm okay if you want to wait a year and then diagnose. And I kept saying that. And at the end of the four week period, they said, you keep saying that you're okay with not getting a diagnosis. Uh, are you okay with a diagnosis? So that was actually took me aback a bit um, in a totally different way from Noella's, the first diagnosis in Scotland. I was kind of like, oh, right, okay. Well, that, that's really interesting because I, you know, I was starting to think this isn't autism. She's starting to talk. She's starting to show positive signs, but they, the professionals, 
obviously saw it, you know. Mm. Um, so, but like I say, youngest one, uh, much milder case. So yes, her language was delayed, uh, but now her language is is fine, and she is actually ahead of her reading age now. Now her autistic issues, um, very common issues in autism, are sleeping and toileting issues. I think we'll go into them later. Whereas with Noella, my eldest, she has um, severe autism, uh, associated learning difficulties, associated sensory processing difficulties, uh, disorders, um, global development delay. Uh, you know, she has a, a real um, plethora of uh, difficulties mm. associated with her autism and challenges. So yeah, so my two girls, um, that's how they were diagnosed, diagnosed um, two different countries, two different processes, same diagnosis, but two completely different children, um, which is such an important point to make about autism. You know, when you've met one autistic child, you've met one autistic child, it presents differently in every single child, um, which can make it quite a lonely experience um, because with other conditions, um, I don't know, like maybe an eyesight problem or a, a mobility issue or something like that, there will be experts in that field. There will be expert doctors in that field. There will be expert researchers and things. Whereas with autism, because every child is so different, and there are autists, don't get me wrong, there are, you know, doctors, uh, and in fact, there's master's degrees you can do now in autism and things, but because it's such an individual thing, you feel like you're the only expert, and that can be quite a sort of isolating feeling, like sometimes you think, well, what does the top, top doctor say on this? What does the expert say when actually you're the expert? A lot of, especially with, with Noella, well, only with Noella, sorry, I was hearing a lot from professionals like the special needs health visitor and um, uh, pediatric people um, that, that they'd not really seen a case like Noella before. Mm. Um, she's incredibly strong-willed. I now know that she there's a she also has a, this isn't officially diagnosed. It's a very new thing, but the school are in agreement with me that she has pathological demand avoidance (PDA), which was only recognised by the National Autistic Society and the NHS about five years ago. It's very, very new. Um, so, uh, like it says on the tin, pathological demand avoidance will uh, go out of her way, even in harm's way, to avoid a demand, not a demand, but what is being asked of her. Um, uh, mm. Yeah, just to add into her sort of complications. Uh, yeah, so yeah, autism, it just, so even when I meet, I have two autistic girls, um, even when I meet a parent of an autistic child or children, I think I've only met three other parents who have multiples. Um, I'm always very tentative with how I question things, how I speak to them, how I ask them. I'm never like, oh, I know all about autism. I have autistic children, how, you know, blah, blah, blah. Have, have you tried this? Have you tried that? That's so what we used to, as parents, we used to get there. Have you tried mm. this? Have you tried that? And it's people trying to be helpful, although it does wear you down after a while. Um, yeah. It does wear you down. But um, yeah, so, so even I'm very tentative with how I speak to other parents with kids with autism or special needs because it's so specific to that one child, you know, um, and I've learned how to um, nurture and, and 
develop my and love my children and not love the nurture my children in the right way for them uh, but that's not to say there might there's be lots of autistic kids out there that I know nothing yeah. about and would not cope with them, mm. you know uh, yeah so that's my two diagnostic routes and that's how so both at two in different countries and mm. different sort of methods that's as well. very interesting thanks for sharing uh, how's your day-to-day like because I can imagine that you probably need a very good routine. Um, yeah, routine is something that people mention a lot with autism. Um, my day-to-day life now is very different from at the worst points when autism has, I mean, autism will always rule our lives as a family. Um, so I'll probably take you back to, there's two sort of real crisis points apart from diagnosis, which is very important to touch on, there's two kind of real crisis points with regards to autism, uh, and that's education, finding an education setting, and also the birth of my second child. Um, So, I mean, daily life in general, and this hasn't changed, every little thing that you take for granted about your kids is a challenge. So um, washing, feeding, sleeping, keeping safe, all the very basics of parenting. Parenting um, an autistic child, especially if we go back to Noella at her worst point when she was smashing up the house, uh, attacking me, um, hurting herself, um, trying to hurt her baby sister, um, uh, trying to run away, running onto roads, putting herself in danger, climbing fences into people's property, climbing roofs, um, climbing massive walls, um, um, eating non-food items uh, that are dangerous. Um, so probably around age age four or five, because that's when they start. You know, she's getting bigger as well. So then this the attacks and the meltdowns and things they start to get worse. Um, so then daily life would be both parents chronically sleep deprived. I remember reading that in a report and I didn't actually realize it until I read it in some pediatric report. It said a comment from some health visitor said both parents chronically sleep deprived because she just wouldn't sleep. She And if she anything woke her up, she has no concept of night and day. She still doesn't. She has a sleep medication now prescribed by the pediatrician. Mm. She has melatonin. Um, which is commonly prescribed, by, I don't know if I should say commonly prescribed, but it's common to use that with autistic yeah. children. So no um, awareness of night and day, no awareness of danger. So um, so you you would you could have had any kind of night, you could have been awake from one till six a.m. and then you got an hour of sleep from six till seven and then you're up again. Um, and at that worst point that I'm talking about when I had a little baby with my four-year-old, um, Noella was, uh, she was, she's still completely separate from her sister. So I still spend a lot of time running upstairs and downstairs. They have got better and they sort of now and again have times when they play together, but um, uh, yeah, completely separate. So it was a bit like looking after my neighbor's child and looking after my child, having to run between the two of them. Um, the baby, Abba was a really cry baby. She obviously went on to be diagnosed as well. So she had her own difficulties. Noella was, Anytime the baby made a sound, she would smash lamps, she would smash toys, she would smash anything at walls. She was uh, used to poo smear, which is a common uh, 
distress thing in autistic kids and um, so she was still in nappies until she was about five or six maybe so she poo and then take the nappy off use that to smother herself in it smother their walls smother their carpet you know you name it it was it was it, it was there and at those points like she'd also if you tried to clean her because she wouldn't let you clean her she wouldn't let you brush her hair she wouldn't let you brush her teeth all these things had to be done in her sleep or not at all type thing um so it you had that sort of crisis mode where you've got you've got to make choices like do i leave my crying newborn to cry downstairs so that i can go and try and clean my child who's attacking me mm. um and where do you even start you know you get you get the bleach and you get the gloss and they where do you even start you know do you start with the child do you start with the walls like when you're when you have to when you see that much feces you know it's pretty crazy and that would happen sometimes up to we maybe have days where it didn't happen but two times a day daily um and then the rest so we had to really strip back our parenting style and forget about everything forget about the rest of the world forget about everything and just strip it back to um safe happy and clean is what we used to say so um safe being number one with noella because a lot of the time we had to we had to put spikes up around the fence and everything. We lived near a, the A12, a very very busy London road, road to London. Sorry, um, safe. So that was uh, meant, um, you know, literally literally baby proofing effort, absolutely everything. Mm. Breakables. I can't have can't have her near glass. I didn't have a glass in this house. Um, everything plastic. You know, safe, um, happy, and clean. And if we could achieve those three things, then, or even two out of those three things, then that was a winning day, you know? Um, but safety, especially in those early years, was just awful. She'd climb out a window, she'd climb onto roofs. She's an amazing climber. She actually, I forgot to mention this. So when she was at that nursery in Edinburgh, um, when she was two years old, she escaped from the nursery mm. onto the road. Now that at that point in time, so this is going back to twenty thirteen, she was the first child to escape from a nursery in Edinburgh in twelve years, because obviously the police had to be called and everything. I was called in for my work. That's so, so just to sort of give you a view of what kind of climber, escape artist she is. That's her. Um, yeah, so just dealing with these wild meltdowns. I'd often have like big bruises on my on my. She used to always seem to go for my eyes, so I'd have big bruises around my eyebrows. And um, I remember she got me once with them. Um, and what I really, the volcano and um, the mountain in uh, Moana, she got me with that and sliced my eyebrow. Um, um, but in between that, you know, her language was developing. Um, I remember she said the word water when we uh, when she was about about three. Uh, because she loves water, loves being beside the sea, in the water, paddling pools, swimming pools, loves water, which is great because so do I, right? Mm. So um, uh, we had a paddling pool and she was, for Noella to do anything or to say anything, she needs to be incredibly highly motivated because she doesn't have the, um, what we have in us, that sort of want and ability to communicate. So she has to want something incredibly hard for her to say the word of it or or to communicate it to you in some way so um remember she, she said water when uh, we were in when she's about four and then that developed she actually learned her 
colors and learned how to say I want in the swimming pool with them you know those dye mm -hmm. sticks that are so you like you kids chuck them in the water and then dive down and get them so we had a set of four that were different colors and I would chuck them all in the deep end of the pool and she'd want them back and she'd uh, we'd tore her colors she'd need colors so she's maybe four or five at this point so then I'd say I want to go purple and I say I want purple now we did this four times a week for a year and eventually she was saying I want green I want blue and I would mummy would then dive down go and get the stick fetch it and mm. come back um uh, so water played a, a a big role in her speech and communication as did the therapist we had a wonderful one uh, called Rose down here in Suffolk and um uh she was wonderful at um, helping me understand speech therapy and understand um, how, how important repetition is and how important it is to use um, things that the child will engage with to teach. Now things are better. She didn't have a school place for most of her life. Um, she had For 10 months she had a school place. We had some hideous, um, horrendous experiences trying to get her into a school. I mean, one school who told me they could handle autism and they know autism and, oh yes, we can do this, we can do that. They actually manhandled her um, on a visit day because she threw a meltdown um, and she was restrained on a visit day, like age five. Um, mm. oh, yeah, so really horrific experiences. After that, that was a mainstream school. We went into special needs schools, which again were so difficult because she hates being around kids um, and especially unpredictable kids who maybe make a lot of noise um, couple, a few couple of disastrous attempts at one school and then we went to another special needs school which was better and she ended up being kind of part-time there and you know two hours there here and there um, in a unit that was attached to the mm -hmm. school but it wasn't really a suitable place for her she was in there with you know large 14 year olds large 12 year old boy um you know who were just as unpredictable and violent as her but she was a little little girl you know um uh we've actually now we're out of county so we're in the next county a lot down from us in essex um and she started there last september so that's really we haven't found the correct school for noella until she was nine so she's missed out on a lot mm. of education um so daily life now is much much better but i mean you know at times you're dealing with um physical meltdowns you know emotional distress huge safety concerns i mean people take for granted that you can just put your kids in a car and go somewhere noella wouldn't get in the car with the, with her sister for about two years so if we the only place we had um my uh, in-laws were um about 10 miles away eight miles away in another village um that was really the only safe place that we could take her and even if we did that we'd have to take four trips because <laughs> because she wouldn't get in the car with the baby so even simple things like that i couldn't go in a shop i wasn't in a shop for about three years four years um um and with that with autism or i guess with lots of um parents who have kids who have any medical issue that it can keep you isolated you know a lot of the time when so the organization that i work for now home start in suffolk is a charity that have a volunteer service that come and help families like i was uh, at the time struggling and isolation is such mm. a common 
feature of a family struggle because not only do you feel you know sort of mentally alone in your struggle to help your child you're also physically alone if you can't if you have a child with behavioral issues for whatever reason or safety concerns um then you can't go to the park with your friends from nct or you know you can't go uh to the cinema or the whatever these or on a baby group a mother and child group or, or anything like that um and also because you're so different even if you got there because you're so different your child's different from the other children and doesn't want to play with them um any kind of social interaction with other parents um is few and far between mm-hmm. um so uh isolation is a real problem for i guess any special needs needs parent um Mm. Uh, yes but so how do you bond with her how do you communicate now is it better so the community yeah the community oh she's wonderful like she's what we've been really lucky with is um her affection she is an affectionate touchy-feely sensory little girl um and she's so loving um uh, i know that that's something in autism that I hear about or I haven't experienced is it can be common for autistic kids to not be like that to not like to be touched to not be affectionate mm-hmm. or want that affection back um whereas she's you know, we're so lucky she's so affectionate um so communication wise though so she went from there are different interventions PECS is something that's picture exchange communication system that is the exchanging of a small picture that's been physical printed and then laminated and we had and this is quite common um a velcro board where the picture is there so if for example um i remember she's like quavers there'd be a picture of quavers she could take that from the board and give it to an adult or me whoever's in the room indicating that she wants quavers um uh, although she never really took to that it took her about two years to really take to that mm. um and even then i suppose she's not non-verbal like she was starting to develop words then she's not conversational she doesn't answer questions but she can make simple requests and she can repeat mm-hmm. words um so picture change she also had another thing is called a talk pad which um was sort of gifted to us um or loaned to us sorry via the Suffolk County Council um and that's an iPad with special software on it that is personalized to the child. So it'll be like a picture of mummy and she presses the button and it says mummy, you know, and, and so on. And that would be food, that would be school, family members, animals, whatever, this talk pad. Um, again, really useful. And I know that lots of kids get on well with it. I think Noelle was probably given it a little bit too late for her to really engage with it. Um, and then her language kind of and vocabulary did de- de- develop but like i say she doesn't have any want inside her to communicate unless it's for a reason so um you have to sort of as an autism parent to a non-verbal child um you kind of narrate your day you narrate everything so that they're constantly exposed to speech and language probably doing their head in <laughs> but um with constant chit chat all the time but you feel like when you narrate things and you narrate your life, even if you get no response from the child, I think as a parent you feel like you're you're doing mm. something. I'm inputting language in there, and even if she's not responding, it's still good. Um, um, lots of exchange games are good. Um, 
whether it's ex exchanging an object or things like that can be good for that repetition of language, um, which is so important. So her communication, there's there's lots of depicts is probably the most popular um, with nonverbal children. But like I say, Noelle has gone on to, she wouldn't be described as nonverbal now, um, but you couldn't hold a conversation with her or ask her any questions or, you know, so, um, Although she has just in this last year, so age nine, she now will say, mm-hmm, like, agree. So today when I pick her up from school, I go, you had a good day? She might go, mm-hmm. That's good. Mm -hmm. And then she she normally gets like a little tiny bit of chocolate or something like that, these mini mini mm -hmm. eggs, you know, after school. So if I, if I say if I didn't give it to her, then you'd wait and she would go, egg, chocolate, or egg, you know, um, because she knows I'm supposed to get this. <laughs> Where is it? You know, uh, again, highly. Or she'll come home, and if her iPad's on charge or something, she'll go, and she can't find it. She'll go, iPad, iPad. You know, there's no sentence structure. Um, if she was struggling to get a word across to me, so if for for some reason I didn't understand the word, because that often happens, because she's her, you know. Her speech is sometimes un unrecognizable and I'll say what what do you mean and then she, she might try and elongate the sentence then she might say I want this or she might try and break down the word in a different way she might say orange square or black square if, if I didn't recognize what she meant by iPad I'm not explaining that very well but um yeah so there's lots of different early intervention methods of communication no sorry not just early intervention. Lots of people go on to use a talk pad forever. Um, um, and with Alba, her speech, although late, developed, went on to develop and is now, is now, um, I say normal, is now age appropriate for her. It, but was was late and was, and she was operating about, about a year behind her age for a long time, but she's now caught up. And that's a lot, a lot of that is thanks to education, is thanks to, having she's at a very small village school where um she has so much at attention from her teachers and she's in a lovely class so a lot of that is to do with being in a positive educational environment mm. um mm, makes sense makes sense and so with all of that how do you still take care of yourself and how do you prioritize your mental health your yourself yeah for me personally again it's been at different stages now um exercise has been a really big thing for the last sort of six years so the year that alba was born um i started doing a, a boot camp classes i you know i couldn't leave the house um and i wasn't leaving the house for many days at a time because of noella so there was a 6 30 a.m boot camp class in a local park to me and I uh, can't remember where I saw it now. Oh, I think it was my friend Sophie recommended it. Um, so I started doing that for 45 minutes, three times a week. Uh, met, and that was, not only was I speaking to adults, <laughs> like other adults, when I was going home to my kids to spend the entire day at home because I couldn't get her in the car, I couldn't go anywhere, blah, blah, blah. Um, I was also getting exercise, which is so important for mental health. Um, mm -hmm. If anything, it's like almost the number one medication, certainly for me, for my mental health. So I prioritize exercise, prioritize sleep, um, because of from the years of being chronically sleep deprived, I know now it can take years off your life. So prioritize sleep. I'm in my bed. I'm normally asleep by half past nine every night, if not before. Um, drinking loads and loads of water, like the really simple things. If you've got 
an autistic child or any massive stress within your family unit, if you prioritize the really simple things like drinking your two liters of water, taking a multivitamin, getting eight hours of sleep, you know, if you have the basics in place, then you're much more able to handle what the day brings. Um, I used to always say that about meltdowns as well. If you've got a child that, so when Noelle was regularly meltdowning, um, and it would usually happen outside of the house, some, some sort of external trigger, I would always make sure that I'd, even if I wasn't hungry, I'd had breakfast that day. Um, and always make sure I don't miss a toilet break. You know, if you think, oh, I'm passing a toilet and I need to go, go. Because if your child has a meltdown in the next five minutes, and you feel like you need to, you need the toilet, or you know, you're, if your stomach mm -hmm. is rumbling and you're so hungry you can't think right, you need to be in the right position. You know, you have to look after yourself as mm -hmm. a parent on the good days and the bad days, so that you can be there to love and support your child anyway, um, with a with clear a clear head, clear thinking, um, but also physically look after yourself with sleep and water and exercise and good food um and with that that's a twofold thing actually because that i'm talking now about looking after yourself for your daily life but when you have a special needs child especially one that you know is going to need 24-hour care for the rest of their life you know i have everyone wants to live a long and healthy life i have to live a mm -hmm. long and healthy life because I can't get sick, I can't, you know, become disabled, I can't, I will have Noella with me, you know, until I'm a very, very old lady uh, and go into a care home. I mean, um, luckily she's got her sister now and, and her dad as well, her dad, is, he's the same age as me, but so we'll age at the same rate. But um, yeah, so there's two, that's a twofold thing, looking after your mm -hmm. health is really important. Um, I don't want to, you know, you know become, I have to be a caregiver for my entire life now um so i have to extend that life and keep it a healthy life um i think relationships is an important thing to touch on when we're talking about self-care so um i'm now separated from my from my husband from the girl's dad and um, that happened in uh, 2019 and both of us would agree he said this and i agree wholeheartedly that if it wasn't for autism we would most likely still be together. Um, the I can't remember the exact figure, but divorce rates with special mm -hmm. needs parents are much, much higher than with uh, regular, so to speak, regular parents, because it's just so yeah. stressful. You know, and my husband, my ex-husband, he describes it as um, you live in crisis mode and, you, and then you find it now, now in my life, we're not in crisis mode. Don't get me wrong, we have moments with Noella, we, where it is crisis mode and it kicks back in again. But for a good five year period, we were both living in crisis mode where your anxiety is way up here constantly, never comes down. You know, your his blood pressure must have been through the roof. Like, and that makes like nurturing a parental relationship mm -hmm. really difficult. Um, so I think, um, it's important to remember that both of you, if and if that's if you're lucky enough to have a partner, some people are doing this on their own, you know, um, it's important to remember that you need to support each other. And when you're both on this journey together and the journey will look different for both of you because one might be working, one not, might not be working or, or maybe both are working, but um, you know, when you see the other person 
about to explode or about to break down, you need to recognize that or even, you know, have a, what you call it, code word or something. And that's when you step up and support that person. And we did used to find that when I was really, really struggling, Sam would be this feeling stronger and he would support Mm me. and he would be the one to step up and say, right, remove yourself from this situation. I'm going to try this different approach or whatever, right? Um, or And when he had down days, when he had, you know, his moments of, of, of down, I would then recognize that and say, look, remember, you know, this is where we have been. We're here now. Things are getting better. You know, you have to mm-hmm. look out for each other within the relationship um uh what else is i going to say about self-care i think um having some keeping something for yourself when you devote your whole day life to your children you know which most parents do um it'll be different for everybody but keeping like one little thing for yourself that makes you feel whole or makes you feel like yourself like your pre-parental self so for me like i've always loved makeup i've always been a makeup kind of person so um i mean don't get me wrong when I'm not talking about during crisis points, but in most days, if I have spent 10 minutes doing my makeup, then I feel like, right, okay. And then my other thing is uh, the washing machine and the dishwasher. If I could get both of them on before 9 a.m., then I'm already like winning for the day, set up Mm. for the day. Um, Exercise has become a, uh, a part of that as well for me, although that's not everybody's cup of tea or not everybody has time, but... There's another good podcast called The Power Hour, um, and it's all about taking, and I appreciate most parents, especially with young children, won't have a whole hour, but the concept is, um, and it's mainly around mothers, is having a power hour that's for you. And usually with guests that come on this other podcast I'm talking about, um, it's usually early morning. So it's usually set your alarm, whether it's 10 minutes or 20 minutes or the full hour, set your alarm slightly earlier, you know, and maybe it's just having your coffee in peace. Maybe it's just having 15 minutes to drink your coffee without having to wipe someone's bum, without hearing the word mum, without having to mm-hmm. do something for someone else and to just, to just um, chill and have your little moment. And at different points in your parental journey, you'll be, you know, I could probably do a full 45 minutes an hour now because I get up really early at quarter to six to do exercising. But, um, and I like to watch at least 10 minutes of the news and 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 feel and feel like these little things so 10 minutes of the news 10 minutes of exercise 10 minutes of makeup whatever throughout the day then i feel like oh I'm, i am myself i am winning today is a good day like and it's on top of all the things that you do for your children especially children like noella who have to be dressed um and noella she um it's common for autistic kids to not like clothing because of the sensory issues so she will undress herself you know, up to 10 times a day. So it's like dressing a, a big doll, you know, so you add in all these jobs, dressing, the washing, the cleaning up, you know, and everything. Um, yeah, have little things that are for you, little 10 minute things that are for you, even if it's just a cup mm. of coffee um, and that's and put that into your daily routine. I think morning as well, if you have one little thing in the morning that you do, I hear a lot of people, I don't do it, but I hear a lot of people talk about meditation and uh, little snippets of five minute meditation apps and stuff like that. I hear that that's very, very good. Um, and I keep meaning to try it, but <laughs> I think my mind's a bit too monkey, monkey brain for that. Yes, it comes with practice, just like exercise. Um, but that's, no, that's very helpful. Thank you for, for sharing all of that. Is there a last advice that you would like to share? 
Yeah, and it's, do you know what? It's the most important part of advice. It's just one sentence, and it was given to us uh, when Noella was first diagnosed back in Edinburgh. We were put on a six-week autism parent program. So once a week, you go up to night class for six weeks. And on the first night, this a woman stood up in front of this, all of our newly, maybe 10 or 12 sets of newly diagnosed parents, you know, all sitting there shell-shocked. And she said, the most important thing that you'll learn on this autism journey that you're on, which is a lifelong journey, is to continually ask the question, does it really matter? And you can apply that to lots of different areas of life, but with particular, with, with autism and raising an autistic child or children, um, you have to shift the world around your child to fit your child, because your child will not shift. The autism is there to stay and it's there in, in their head and you can help them to develop and love them the best you can, but you have to shift your life the everybody else around you so you know you have to educate your external family you have to um completely overhaul your life to fit your child but continually ask yourself does it really matter so you know whether that's other parents pointing at your child or not being nice or indicating that they've noticed the difference in behavior and um, that can be upsetting but does it really matter yeah. um whether it's because you never attend a birthday party or a wedding or anything ever again because your child can't cope with that does it really matter um or uh, when and when you strip it right back that's when it comes back to the safe clean happy thing that that we lived by mm -hmm. for a long time um and actually those are the only things that matter you know it's, um safe clean happy of the child and then the safe clean happy of the family um Yes, just ask yourself, you know, in situations where you're panicking and, and um, you know, life just is, is too much and there's too much going on, too much to cope with, too much to deal with, which parts matter, you know, and which parts don't. So just continually ask yourself, does it really mm -hmm. matter? I think that's the biggest bit of advice. Um, uh, and to continually educate others around you that autism is an individual thing. Um, and if you acknowledge, so as speaking like to autism parents like myself, like if we acknowledge right away from the get go when speaking about autism, that it's such an individual thing and we only know our child, then that will reverberate into society and society will then understand autism is such an individual condition. You know, I do not know about this. I know one person or I know two people with it. Um, and like you you touched you touched on earlier before we were talking, you know, positive education ripples through society. So um, little things like that, putting that messaging out, um, uh, is important. Um, yeah, so that would mm. be my. It doesn't really matter. It's a really great question to always ask yourself, uh, and I use that in lots of different things now. But but in particular with a child with autism, I didn't have a lot of expectations. I get but I think some parents do have expectations of a child that will attend school go to university have a family of their own like or you know achieve this or achieve that or Lucas or I don't know right but um you know if anything autism teaches you that and having an autism autistic child it's you can't plan for anything and uh 
autism will dictate your life and you have to change around the autism uh, not not the other way around mm -hmm. and that's um that's the most child-centric approach that you have to that you can take um uh mm. yeah so um Sorry, no, no, it's very, very interesting. Actually, I, I learned so much and I think we all did. Um, Can I just say one course. more thing? Can I just say <laughs> one more thing? Sorry. Uh, and it's about um, joy and like expectations of where joy comes from. Pe you know, people, including family members of mine, like Noella doesn't get joy from friendships from other children from playing with other children she gets her joy from things like playing in mud climbing and um, she likes any slime female sensory type activities right and um so eggs she was obsessed with eggs for a while and i used to give her boxes and boxes of eggs to smash and play with and everything it used to make a terrible mess and um but again, does it really matter because that's what brought her joy. Mm -hmm. So you've got to drop your expectations of where joy comes from. Joy doesn't come from soft play centers and birthday parties and things that I enjoyed as a child because I don't have autism. Um, but these are Noella's worst nightmare. So um, you've got to sort of think about honing on where does her joy mm -hmm. come from? And even if it's messy, even if it's ridiculous, as long as it's safe, if it makes her happy, then it encourage it. I remember when she was maybe about four or five, she was playing in a muddy puddle, like up to her waist. This is in Aberdeenshire in Scotland, uh, where there's a lot of mud. Um, and my dad saying, I was encouraging, I was like encouraging her saying, I don't know, splish splash or whatever. And my dad's saying, so stop encouraging her to, to do that. She'll be doing that when she's 15 if you encourage her or something mm. along those lines, you know, he's in his mm. six days and doesn't understand as, as, as much. And I said, that's her joy. Like, she doesn't have friends. She doesn't go to soft play. She doesn't go to parks. She doesn't go to parks and play with other children. This is where her joy comes from. So, of course, I will encourage it. And even if she is doing this at 15, if that's what brings her joy, then she can do it. And I will encourage it. You know, you have, but with older people, it's difficult yeah. to. But that's just an example of, um, uh, although my dad's great and he's a wonderful granddad, but that was just an experience that I had. Um, it doesn't matter other people's opinions about where your child's joy comes from. Mm. Um, yeah, sorry. No, so that, that makes complete there. sense. I think yeah. it's uh, it's very interesting. I think, you know, being able to, to see what works for your child and then, you know, you have also to choose your battles. If really she likes to go in the mud, yeah, you're not gonna yeah. scream at she's, her. Right? Yeah. But no, it's, yeah. it's very interesting. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, thank you so, so much for sharing your story because I think it's, it's gonna help loads and uh it's even just for yeah. awareness it's super important so thank you for for sharing what it's like for you and as you said it's different for everyone yeah but uh yeah that's no problem and um and like i say i work for homestart in suffolk a charity in suffolk if any families out there are listening to this and identify with my struggle or are having a struggle of their own then please mm -hmm. reach out to homestart we will put the link um, in the description so you can click the, uh, yeah that would right be away. super if you could do that that would be great thank you so much for thank having you, me on Eve. it's been really nice <laughs> to chat thank you so much for listening feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know if you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. 
That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.